0: I think, if anything, the main technique that the three of us do when we go places is we just embody love and we try to walk in its presence and just be that universal energy that connects and unites everything. Welcome to the Be Here Now guest podcast. This series features a collection of teachings and conversations centered around mindfulness, spiritual growth, and living a life in balance. Each week, our diverse network of guest teachers and hosts offer up wisdom and practices from a different spiritual path and perspective. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit beherenownetwork.com slash donate.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of the book review of Let Your Light Shine. Today, I have our friends again, Ollie Smith, Atma Smith, and Andreas Gonzalez. Welcome back, guys.
2: Thank you, David. Thanks for having us back, Dave. Thanks for having us, buddy.
1: Awesome. So, last episode, we talked about the organization and, you know, kind of like a little bit about the book, and today we're going to go a little bit more into the book and the creation process and how, you know, developing content and deciding what to use, what not to use, and all this fun stuff. So... Does anybody have anything to say like right off the bat before, you know, we just start jumping in questions? Do you want to talk about the process? Maybe how that happened? Like when did the idea of wanting to write a book come? Did it feel like a need for you to write it or was it a want to write it?
3: I think it was a combination of the two, David, a need and a want. We dove deeper into the practice after we graduated from college. And, you know, it's been a part of our life. You know, we, knew that, you know, our community uh, where Ali and I grew up at and where Andy, Ali, and I uh, lived when we graduated from college was underserved, and we knew we wanted to do something about it. And, you know, instead of being, you know, someone that's just complaining about conditions, we knew we wanted to be activists and actually be the change that we wanted to see in our community. I think that, you know, the change that we've made in our community and honestly around the nation and the world needed to be told, Uh, you know, it's not too many stories about black and brown men making uh, a change uh, in their communities. And, you know, we wanted to not only tell our story, but motivate other people to be able to do the same. I think getting a
2: book done is something that we've always wanted to do. Like I'm just saying, just the, the story that we have, our, our introduction to the practice is very unique. My um, style of teaching is very unique. And the way that we, I think the way that we empower people instead of teaching them to need us, and uh, I think the practices that we use, yoga is what we do, but um, it's a lot more than the bending and the stretching. It's a lot, Most of it is more off-the-mat practices in the way that you live your life. Like, a, a lot of people always ask us why we didn't have a book. And, you know, it was just like time or opportunity or or whatever. I think it was just like things aligned. Um, we got a push from um our big bro, Barry Boyce, from Mindful Magazine, kind of got the ball rolling,
0: and then uh, it worked out from there. You know, we have all these practices and these techniques that we want to share with the world. You know, and That's one of our missions in life, one of our goals, with HLF. And I think a book just provides us with a, a larger platform to hopefully get those messages out and get those techniques out to more people. You know, and ultimately that's what we want to do is try to give people as many tools as they can use to help them help themselves.
1: Yeah, I agree with that too. Because you guys, I think you guys fit in all formats. You're like an in-person, you're traveling, you have some like online, you have some web. And now you have the book. So you're so diverse in such a way that no matter how someone uh, receives wisdom or information, they, they have an avenue to get it from you guys. So I wanted to ask, like, what was the process? So do you, did you guys get together and develop the ideas? And then one of you wrote it out. All of you wrote it out. How did you write a book?
2: It was one of those things where we, we've had, like, stories and ideas and practices that we wanted to share with people for a really long time. I mean, I guess just the process, Stephanie Tade. So Stephanie Tade's our agent um, and she did a good job of getting us together and come up with a treatment for the book. Uh, The first one was, you know, kind of okay. Then we kind of redid it, um, put more of us into it. And and like the things that we believe in, the things that drive us, the things that motivate us, Uh, Penguin Random House bit. Stephanie got us some help putting all of the process together. So pretty much we just had to kind of like get our stories together uh, we had someone kind of help us shape it, uh, but it was it was a collaborative effort between the three of us
1: so when it came to this, what did you decide that would go into it? Was it the work that you've done so it was more of a history discovery or was it teaching people practices, teaching people mantras and the the wisdom from the all the yoga that you've done over your years and all the stuff that you got from uh, from uncle Stu <laughs> <laughs> uncle uncle will all the, all the practices that you got from uncle will? My teacher was Stu, so I'm having a Freudian slip over here. So I'm just curious, like what went in compared to what did it make it?
3: I mean, David, I think it was a combination of all the things that you said, whether it's practices that, you know, we spent a lot of time doing and seeing the benefits of, Uh, you know, our teacher used to always tell us, be a scientist, do the experiment, and then you know what the benefits are. So we definitely spent a lot of time uh, after graduating from college Diving deep into the practices, the physical practices and breathing and meditation and the mantras uh that we teach in our book. But then it also goes into the history of our uh dad, our mom, and our teacher, and you know, what led them to the path of yoga. And then, you know, Ali and I were brothers. We grew up in a uh yogic household, whether it was meditating in the morning or uh, you know, going to uh the divine life church of absolute oneness which is a branch of the Self-Realization Fellowship, you know, what led them to that and, you know, what led us to meeting Andy in college and us going from, you know, party animals to, you know, being interested in contemplative practices and seeing what it does for us and then, you know, sharing these lessons and practices with the world, you know, then in turn providing these practices for, you know, our readers out there. Um, So, you know, it's a combination. And then, you know, we've been on the speaking circuit for a while. You know, we tell certain stories that, you know, impact people in a major way. We put some of those stories into the book, I guess, just showing how these practices can help empower people, communities, and, you know, help them make better decisions in their life and ourselves. And we take the practices, our teacher used to always say, taking the practices off the mat and into our life. These practices have helped us navigate the ups and downs of the human experience so you know you get all of that in the book yeah i think it was cool to see how much we could pack in there but still make the story make sense like it flows very well
2: and like i said it's about our histories about the practices but i think the coolest thing is it's one of those things where we're trying to empower the reader to change themselves to change the world you know what i mean like we're, we're trying to give them practices we're trying to give them tools techniques ways to think about themselves ways to think about the world there's a lot of wild things going on in the world right now and people want to change them and then i think people want to make things better but um, it can feel really overwhelming at times because you're like all this stuff is going on like i can like what am i going to do but i think the one thing that you have control over is yourself and i think that's the one thing that you can change to change the world and we can get enough people to change themselves and like the title says let their light shine brighter out into the world i think that's what's going to make a shift awesome
1: when it comes to hlf and the work that you do there is essentially like a specific towards of community towards of group that you're working with you know underprivileged kids schools communities of yoga and mindfulness and you know when you when you travel you talk to certain communities of like the buddhist community the yoga community meditation communities i'm I'm probably sure there's some more that you can say that i'm not saying too but i'm curious with this book what was the audience that you were speaking to Like, is there certain communities? Is there a certain type of audience? And also, what are you looking to tell when you're speaking to these audiences? Is it a huge audience? Is it like a more narrowed? You
2: know, I remember having that conversation with the publisher and they were telling us we had to come up with that. Like, who was our audience? And as we put it together, we're like, it's a book for everybody. And they were like, well, it can't just be a book for everybody. It's got to be a book for a certain audience. But then as they, as they got the treatment and they started to read it, they were like, wow, this really is a book for everybody. You know what I mean? It's a book for parents. It's a book for teachers. It's a book for community activists. It's a book for just a random person with no introduction to the, any contemplative practices person. It's a book for people who may have had decades of experience with contemplative practices, it's just for, I think it's for anyone who wants to kind of shine a light on what's going on in the world and then to kind of let their light shine outwards and figure out how to tap into it. I think people, um there's a lot of suffering on the planet and people don't know what to do with it. Um, They don't know how to overcome it. And I f- think a lot of people feel stuck. So we're just trying to offer people ways to free themselves up. You know what I mean? Like a mentally, emotionally, spiritually, just kind of free themselves up to, to do more. But again, I, I know I've said this a few times, but it's all about, This book is all about how to change yourself to change the world. It's not like going out. I mean, there are practices that you can share with other people, which is a beautiful thing. But um, the one thing you have control over is yourself and how you treat yourself and how you treat the people around you. And that's what we're really
1: focusing on in this book. That's awesome. So I I just had a funny little thought of thinking like the reason they ask you that question is because they're trying to prepare themselves to think, who are we going to sell this to (laughs) compared to... Who is the content for and who's it gonna help? And so when you're when you're saying that it's for everybody, I like I really feel that because it's true. Everything you guys do, everything you work towards is for everybody. And there might be, you know, certain communities and groups and lineages that you're working with, but that doesn't mean it's not for everybody. You guys are an invitation for everyone to show up to themselves and to the work that you guys are doing. And I I like I feel that. for everybody. I'm I'm sorry, publisher, I don't know what to tell you.
3: I think it's kind of like our work. You know, we started off focused on, you know, underserved communities because, you know, the amount of undiagnosed trauma in those communities, whether it's, you know, firsthand trauma, secondary trauma, or intergenerational trauma that people are facing, uh, you know, I know everyone is facing it, but, you know, some people have the luxury of being able to pay for an expensive yoga class or retreat you know, one thing we saw is that people didn't have the teachers that we had around us in the practices. So, you know, we wanted to deliver those practices to those underserved communities that didn't have access. But just like our organization scope grew, that's the same thing with our book. We may have had a certain group in mind, but, you know, as we started writing, you know, it was, it really grew to be for everyone.
1: I'm kind of glad you brought up like traumatized and marginalized because I have a little question about that. So, when you're thinking about these sort of situations these like these words they tend to reference more of a trauma box when it comes to your psyche, but then there's also like finding freedom and wisdom, you know which which is more of like a positive sense of search within of the psyche and and finding peace and I'm curious like are are these two groups like finding peace and wisdom and then also learning how to deal with trauma and marginalized situations are are these two groups that can come together? with the teachings in your book?
3: Definitely. I I think that they go hand in hand. I think that, you know, it's hard to get to that peace if you don't deal with the trauma. You know, that's why, you know, we deal with like uh, certain physical practices to kind of uh, initially make the body a safe space. Most traumatized communities don't feel safe in their own bodies. And that's where the physical practice of yoga comes into play to be able to release that trauma. Then, you know, we get into the breath where, you know, you can get a little stillness to your mind that can actually lead you to that inner peace. So, I mean, I think it goes hand in hand, you know, first dealing with the trauma. And then once people are able to deal with that trauma and, you know, learn how to release it or uh, keep it at bay, then, you know, you can lead them to a peaceful inner environment, which, you know, once they establish it and can go in there, it's something that no one can ever take away from them. Yeah, and I think those communities
2: that you mentioned, David, are one in the same. Like, I feel like, traumatized and marginalized people are still looking for wisdom and inner peace. You know, I mean, I don't think it's two separate communities. I think it's a, a lot of times the traumatized and marginalized communities are dealing with day to day stuff. You know what I mean? Like how am I going to keep my lights on? How am I going to get my kids to school? How are we, am I going to be able to feed them and clothe them? Like, like basic human needs, Um, I think it are going on in a lot of those situations, but you know, like they still, there's still, a there's still a deep desire for inner peace and a deep desire for wisdom. I think they don't have the like the, the resources aren't available to find outer peace. You know what I mean? Like they can't go to, can't afford to go to a retreat center. Can't, might not be able to afford to go on vacation or to get away, or even have the time to get away because they're working so much and taking care of family members, uh, whether they're older or younger. And then it's like, so your only option for some people is inner peace. Like there's no way to get outward physical peace, so you got to find that inner peace. And I think, I think a, a lot of marginalized communities and traumatized communities do want wisdom, but I still, I don't think it's presented in a way that they feel speaks to them or resonates with them. Cause a lot of time that, that wisdom and that, that, that wisdom is is put, put out in a way from teachers with a certain voice that isn't ours. I think that's one of the important things about our book is that the voice is different. Like it's, it's going to speak to people who a lot of people in the contemplative practice world, mindfulness, yoga, whatever it is, like they, their voices sound very, very, very similar. Like there's no doubt about that. Uh, but this is a different voice that can speak to whatever population it is, but particularly those those marginalized and um, and traumatized communities that might not see anyone that looks like them even doing the practices or especially teaching the practices. So, I mean, I think it's just a, a different way of seeing things and a different way of receiving the message in a way that might resonate.
1: True. Yeah. And one thing I like about your message, because I've worked with you guys with your organization. We've done some projects on the side. We've been friends for a bit. And I've, and I've seen that. I've seen how the information is just there and it, and it helps everybody. And you don't need a retreat and you don't need to have like a, a guru and you don't need all these things. But what you do need to realize is that it's within you and discovering love. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're in situations that don't promote love and self-love and reflection. So I think it's really beautiful that you guys are providing a space that has the ability for everyone to get there. And I think that's like really good. So, you know, we we talk a little bit about love. So how do you think you teach love to folks who haven't really experienced love in their life, either from external or internal situations? How? What are some techniques that you have that the book can describe that helps people realize their inner love and their inner worth?
0: Yeah, when you were asking, I just couldn't think of a a specific tactic or technique you know when you asked the question all i was thinking of kind of was you know something that we do is we model it you know we lead by example so when we go into places you know we see people beyond their physical selves we see them for their real selves and we know that light within them is the same light within us and so we love them and we do that with everything and and that's a practice that takes a while to really understand and to grasp because then you need to be loving those people that are you know the douchebags and the assholes, you know, the people that treat people messed up. And if anything, you know, our teacher used to always say that you had to love those people even more. So I think if anything, the main technique that the three of us do when we go places is we just embody love and we try to walk in its presence and just be that universal energy that connects and unites everything. Um, so just understanding what people are coming from, understanding the traumas and atrocities they may have faced. And I think that's a large reason why we touch on that at the beginning of the book and you know a lot of people do know about all these things that go on to some of these communities that are marginalized or underserved or the stuff that's happened in history but a lot of people don't and I think that we're bringing light to that and showing people hey you know you know you would think it'd be easy to say to somebody look at all these struggles that are going look at all this this turmoil that's going on in the world and some people are like I don't see it you know you would think it'd be so easy for them to see the suffering. But I truly believe a lot of people don't see it. They're oblivious to it or they're ignorant to it. They're ignoring it because their lives are better off. So I think introducing some of them to this realization of, hey, man, this stuff is going down and it's going on all over the world. It's been going on for a long, long time. And the only thing that's really going to help it out is love. And it's not only love for yourself, which is what we really try to push with the techniques and the practices and for them to go inward and learn more about who they really are, but Uh, In turn, as you gain that self-love, then you're able to see that light within everyone else and then you're able to love them as well. So I think everyone starts becoming those mirrors of yourself and just the love keeps spreading. And I think the point is to always move with love to be in its energy and be in its light. But I I couldn't think of a specific like, hey, you should do this technique or do this practice.
1: Yeah. Breathe in through your nose three times. Love will fill you. (laughs) I'm not
2: trying to corner any of you all. I just got something to add to that. I think like one of the most important things about teaching, like spreading love, and get like I think people have to connect to themselves. I think a lot of people are so disconnected from their inner world. Like I feel like they're everything's pretty mundane for them. It's like their body, their thoughts, and all the outside stimuli, and that that's pretty much what their world is. There's nothing connected to them to themselves, like their true self, like that infinite universal. Soul body, I mean, whatever you want to call it, the God within you, I don't, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's inside of everyone. And I think a lot of people don't know how to connect to it or don't even know that it's there. Our teacher would always say, um, we call the people were ignorant of their light. And, uh, he wasn't, not that they were dumb. He was saying people ignore it. Like they don't, like there's so many, like there's a lot of distractions outside of you that are pretty good distractions. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of cool stuff out in the physical world, but there's still a distraction. So I mean, like, it's pulling you outward when you should be taking some time to go inward every day. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. They don't know what's how it is. It feels very like obscure to them or, but it's, it's something that's there and something you can touch and you can experience and you can feel. And once you see and experience that light within you, then you can, then it can go outward. I mean, you can't, he would, always, he would also always say like, you can't see the light in someone else before you see it in yourself. So like, I think it's a lot around getting people to connect to themselves and I think it just makes their world a lot bigger. If you're only connected to the things that you can physically touch and feel and see and smell and hear, like that, that limits you. Like if, but if you connect to something inside of you that's universal, like it broadens your world. Like your world becomes gigantic. Like you, there's nothing that you're not a part of or connected to or can't access. So I think it's just re- that real that that inner connection is the first step, and then moving and then letting that love shift outward.
1: So like in the world of spirituality and, you know, mindfulness and the work that you're doing, a lot of things you see are people talking in white bodies. And I'm curious, the work that you've been doing have been directed towards people with brown bodies. And you also are in a world of white dominated bodies. And I'm curious, how important is it for a voice from where you're coming from. Is it for people like you to hear that? It's for them as well. It's for everybody. And I want to know your perspective and your experience of being someone of a brown body person and having this information while you're in a dominated white body situation.
2: I think different voices resonate with different people. I know if I had learned yoga in a yoga studio, and, you know, most yoga studios are dominated by like middle aged white women and they teach in a certain way. They speak in a certain way. Uh, the classes look a certain way. I don't think I would be, I don't think I'd be a yogi right now. I learned from a black man from East Baltimore that was a black panther, played football. You know what I mean? He, that was, that was my teacher. Like that was, that was my teacher. My dad from Turner Station, you know, lived in West Baltimore a lot of his adult life. Coach, one of the toughest dudes I know, I learned meditation from him. So it's like that was, those are the voices that spoke to me. And I don't think there are enough voices that speak to people of color. And in, in the, I don't think, I think in the spiritual world in general, there's not at least not voices that are propped up and promoted. Um, like I'm, there's people out there that are doing good work, but they don't get the same type of, um, they don't get the same type of shine. They don't get the same type of publicity, promotion as, as a lot of the white voices in the space. And, um, I think it, 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 it makes a lot of people of color, black people, brown people, whatever, think the practice isn't for them. And which is, which is wrong. I mean, the practice is for everybody. The practice is literally for every single person having a human experience. But when all the voices and all the pictures and everything looks exactly one way, then certain people find out that it's not, they think it's not for them. And I can't say that if I hadn't been blessed enough to have the teachers that I had, that I wouldn't think that the practice wasn't for me either. I'd probably be like, well, no, that's not for me. That's for, that's for white people. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the mindfulness world is, it's, I mean, it seems like the mindfulness world is very white male oriented. And the yoga world is very white female oriented. The three of us are none of those, but, and and there's a lot of people out there who are none of those, but they, they're struggling too. They're struggling to connect with themselves. They're struggling with stress. They're struggling with, internal dialogue and the thoughts beating them down they're struggling with all these things that there are solutions to and these aren't solutions that we made up or that are new these solutions that have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and they work i mean despite people wanting to do studies on them to prove that they work you can do a study on it but it's been working for thousands and thousands of years so like these are practices that are tried and true like and and the best thing about yoga is yoga is a science you know what i mean it's not like Something you have to have faith in at all for it to work. Like if you do these practices, they're going to work. Like that's just, that's just how yoga is, which is a beautiful part about it. Our teacher would always say, like, go into this stuff as kind of a skeptic. You know what I mean? Like you can believe in the possibility of it, but prove it to yourself. He would always say, be a scientist, always go in and be a scientist. Like you got to make, like, you can't teach this stuff. And he was, he would always tells me like, and I could be bullshitting y'all about every single benefit of all these practices and you would never know. Unless you went and did the experiments. I think that's the way that we teach. Like we tell people, like, hey, this is what this can do, but you will never know if you don't go and do it. So I think, um, yeah, I think, I think having people experiment and having different voices, uh, deliver the message is, is key for this to spread and for everybody to be able to feel welcome in the practice.
3: Yeah. I, I remember, um, one time we were teaching in the corporate setting and, uh, there was a gentleman that, You know, he seemed like he really wasn't trying to uh, be engaged in the practices. And then, you know, he saw how much fun we were having. You know, we made it we made it more engaging. We told him how it could be practical. And then, you know, he raised his hand and had a question for us. And he was like, well, you know, I drink beer. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, I can meditate because people that drink beer can't meditate. And I think Ali's response was like, look, man, after we finish teaching y'all some meditation, we're going to go get a beer. Come get a beer with us. And he was like, holy shit. So it blew his mind. So it's kind of breaking down that false sense that, you know, you have to be one type of way to be able to do these practices. And I think that's why it's important for us uh, in this book, because we are just regular people, regular humans. We don't aren't we shouldn't be ever be held on a pedestal because, you know, we're living our human experience. We're here. We're there. We're everywhere. We're down to earth. We love sports. We love Star Wars. And, you know, like we're just like your everyday men. You know, I think it makes it uh, inviting to other people to see that you don't have to be living in a cave and, you know, uh, detached from worldly sensations. You can be living your life and still have a mindfulness and yoga practice. And, you know, like Ali was saying, that really makes people that would kind of shy away from these practices dive right in. And, you know, we might be the entryway, but they dive deeper because they know that it's okay because, you know, we have a deep practice, yet we still, you know, live in the world. You know what I mean? We are of the world, but, you know, we st- have a deep practice. So I think that it's important that, you know, people see not only just people that look like Andy, Ali, and myself, but, you know, people that have lived human experiences. And, you know, mess up because, you know, we mess up, do the right thing, but we mess up just like everyone else. But we still have our practice to keep us grounded. So I really think that that is, you know, super important to be able to expose people to. I remember, you know, when we first started this stuff, you know, people like 20 years ago, people like, man, in some of the communities that we went into, like, I ain't doing this. This this shit is soft, man. I ain't doing this. And then, you know, we would tell them, like, do you think we soft? And like, no, we're like, well, this is part of what we do to keep us grounded and present. You know, life is hectic. There's ups and downs in the human experience. This practice keeps you grounded, strengthens you mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And, you know, when they get to know us, they really realize that we grew up in West Baltimore, lived in West Baltimore, dangerous place, but we still had an inner peace about us. And I think that inner peace was inviting and us embodying love like Ali and Andy were talking about. Was something new to them, seeing, you know, black men, brown men who, you know, still are, you know, we have a little bit of tough edge to us, but we still have a practice, you know what I mean? So it lets them, those same people who have like an edge to them that, you know, may not be from, you know, the safest neighborhoods, safest communities, might be from marginalized communities that it is. A practice that they can get into because it is for everybody, and I think it's just we're breaking down the stereotype that it has to be a homogenous to type of people doing these practices. I certainly think that seeing someone that looks
0: like you guide you through something can be beneficial, you know, especially with brown and black communities where oftentimes people that don't look like them have come into their communities and done messed up stuff to them or interactions in general for brown and black people with white people, sometimes they'll be like, man, I just don't mess with these people because they've always treated me this way. So I could see I'd be very off-putting for them to just have a person that come in that doesn't look like them, try to teach them stuff and be like, hey, this is how it is. And being like, no, that's not how it is. But at the same time, I still think that it's so important to understand that the delivery, you know? like Just like Holly said, there is no way that if I had any other teacher, would I be doing this type of work? I even think if I went to like a class and it could have been a brown or a black teacher, if it wasn't Uncle Will, I wouldn't be doing this work because he had a certain way of talking to him. You know, he had a certain way of delivering stuff to make it practical, to make it relatable, to make it fun, to make it real. And I think that he really pushed that on to us when he, when he first said to us and made us agree, Hey, you know, I, I don't want any do devotees. I'm only teaching teachers. You have to promise to be teachers. And he would always push that on to us kind of understanding that we have to talk to people differently, depending on who it is or where we're at, or, you know, like, like understanding to meet people where they are at. I think that's so important, but I also think it's important for people to see the way we do it, you know, just like, like I said, you know, the guy looked at us and he was like, but I drink beers. So I can't do this. And we're looking at him like he's we love beer. You know what I mean? Like and, and people look at us sometimes, I think, because we have this, this this free nature to ourselves. And I think it helps them because I think there are these stereotypes where people believe you have to be this type of way to do meditation or you have to be this type of way to do a yoga instruction. It makes it so stiff. It makes it so, in my mind, it makes it feel fake. You know, it makes it feel phony. And I think what we do very well is we keep it real. And I think in the book, you'll be able to see that because the way we speak to the reader is the same way we would speak when we we're guiding
1: our lessons. Yeah. Yeah, I really feel that. I feel like this is a great note to end on. And I think it's interesting too because it's like, we probably gravitate towards what is relatable. So something that looks like me or looks like you guys is something we're going to be like, oh, what's that? You know, and, and I also like the idea of like, there's this weird phenomenon that being being soft isn't being hard. And like we have this persona of like needing to be hard, but like having emotional stability and a loving heart and knowing what is right and what is wrong to the universal laws, you know, like that's what's up like sticking up for what is right that's like you're never gonna go it is never wrong to be right it's always right to be right so so true david i love the wisdom that you give us and i love these conversations and we are going to do another episode but this is the ending of this one so if you just want to like you know maybe shout out the when the book comes out and any of that and then we'll say goodbye
0: well, thank you all for listening so much please if you could try to pre-order the book Comes out October 18th. You can check it out on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all sorts of sites. Our, our webpage for it right now is letyourlightshinebook.com shine Book.com. So you can pre-order there. If you do pre-order, you'll get three uh practices led by myself, Ali and Atman. And uh and tell a friend to tell a friend, keep spreading the word. Book drops on October 18th, and we're looking forward to hearing how you
1: feel about it. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, y'all, for being here, and uh, have a beautiful day.
0: Thank you.
3: Peace. Peace, y'all.